And so I think it would be interesting to try a little experiment, which is to have a mini sitting welcome. And we're going to just sit for like five minutes. So we have a chance to settle down together to uh, really reconnect as a group and with ourselves. And then I'll talk a little bit and then we'll have a sitting. So um, take a comfortable seat. And that means comfortable for you. Like, don't think about um, what you've read in a book or heard in a course or what you imagine proper sitting technique to be. But instead, to let your beginning of this session be checking in with yourself what feels comfortable and right. So, you know, we're sitting upright, though sometimes people have pain or they're ill and they turn their cameras off and they lie down. So just for the next five minutes or so, give yourself an opportunity to shut your eyes and welcome yourself to this space and explore what comfort means to you. You're awake, but you wish to be comfortable. You wish to be at ease. And so notice what it's like to give yourself the gift of an attention that seeks to welcome you here. To let you be at ease. so that you know you're with friends, you're with Sangha, but you're the center of gravity of your aim is to bring an attention to yourself, to your own experience. To listen, and let words come in, but to let 90% of the attention be on your sensation, your experience. And letting it be exactly what it is tonight. this afternoon, however you experience this time.
Just notice how it feels to come to stillness. Just for a few minutes. Notice how it will be to listen with your whole body. And with an attitude of ease. Even if you have discomfort. or pain, or some emotion that's difficult. So you can let your eyes open and see with eyes open if you can maintain a little bit of a connection, at least at moments, to sensation and to this attention that isn't separate from sensation, that is noticing your experience now, this evening. So the other day, um, someone brought up pain. And what is it, you know, you say to come home to sensation, but what if you have pain? And I've been working with that. And first of all, it might interest you to know that the Buddha himself had chronic back pain. Chronic. And I've heard Bhikkhu Bodhi, who himself lives with chronic migraine, talk about the Buddha's back pain that it probably came from his austerities early in life. But at any rate, his back really hurt to the point where he would turn over Dharma talks to other disciples, Saraputra, and go lie down and listen. And this isn't just a random anecdote. It's kind of, it's important to realize that freedom from suffering 
doesn't mean being without pain. Freedom from suffering is something different than having pain, whether it's emotional pain or physical pain or some other kind of pain. And when I've thought about it, I've been thinking about, I looked into oysters in preparation for this and confirmed what I thought, which is that an oyster producing a pearl is actually an oyster that has a severe stomach ache. Is a terrible stomachache, and there's an irritant, so it secretes this very soft material to ease the tummy ache. It's sort of like Pepto Bismol, and eventually it creates something that we call a pearl. If it wasn't for the irritation, there'd be no pearl. Just like if there wasn't tremendous pressure, there'd be no diamond. In a, certain, in a very real sense, the Buddha never would have left home if he didn't have pain. If there wasn't something that was still at ill at ease, in spite of a life of extravagant luxury and comfort. And I know in my life, I would not have searched for something like meditation or yoga for a practice if there wasn't some kind of pain. How about you? To live a life without pain. Someone reminded me of these, these freakish individuals who don't feel pain. You know, and they have to live in very, very special and closely guarded circumstances because they don't feel pain. So that, like, they, they, it'd be like, what's that strange smell? And it's their own flesh, you know, because they're sitting on a stove. They're, they don't feel this thing called pain, which leads us to seek relief. So is relief from pain the same thing as a path? The interesting thing, and I've been searching and, and working with this for days, is that typically, and I'm not saying I'm typical, but see for yourself, we can, we start out seeking relief from pain. We want to think our way out or practice our way out or find a solution. When I observe my thinking, so much of the time, I'm like that oyster. I'm, trying, I'm irritated by something and I'm trying to find a solution for my irritation. How about you?
something's bothering me and I need to find just the right formula or argument or solution or answer that solves it. And once in a while, something else will enter. Another part of my mind will open and it might begin with something that's even more painful, which is a thought like, what's wrong with me? Have you ever had a thought like that? What the hell is wrong with me? And suddenly the floodgates of my own vulnerability will open. And I'll come in touch with the feeling that there's something wrong with me and why I'm separate from the rest of humanity or life. I'm damaged. Have you ever had a state like that? It's so sad. <laughs> it's so sad. I'm getting smiles and nods. It's so sad when you finally admit you give up the fight. You've had, you realize in that moment that you, you've been waging this exhausting fight against the simple truth that you're damaged. <laughs> and, and apart from life, and you've been putting tremendous effort into covering up this fact. This deficiency or lopsidedness or whatever it is on that given day. And then it turns out that something extraordinary just for a moment might happen when you give up when you give up, which is that suddenly you're just there. You're just part of life for a moment. You've let go of the fight. You've given up one definition of ego. I once heard from a Buddhist teacher is a defense against pain. It's actually intricate and complex and clockwork-like. And for a moment, you give that up. And it's like, here I am. Here I am. Defective. <laughs> and you see the trees. And you smell the air. And the softening comes. And just for a moment, you belong to life again. Pain and all. Your sense of separation lifts, and you realize for a moment that you have been the source of it. You're thinking this kind of self-enclosed desire to armor and defend and fix yourself so you can be seen has been the very source of your separation. And that this is really a path, not so much for doing, but for undoing, for saying, yes, 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 I'm just like this. So um, 
Someone this week really touched me. Another thing to be said about that moment, that moment of what's wrong with me or why do I hurt so much? Or just that ache of aloneness or apartness. At that moment, sometimes we can feel something like praying, help me. Please help me to the sky or not, not necessarily to God, but help me. Our, our effort begins to feel like prayer. So someone this week um, asked me about the relationship between meditation and prayer. And at the level of stillness, when we become still and let ourselves be seen by an attention that doesn't judge, there is no distinction between meditation and prayer. It's a feeling of opening to presence and what you're opening to in that moment, regardless of what you believe or think you believe, is a feeling of letting yourself be here. Letting yourself be here. So um, before we sit, I wanted to add that um, some of us have been inspired and loved the Trappist monk Thomas Merton, who went on a great Buddhist pilgrimage at the end of his life. And among others he met, there was a very great yogi, a very advanced Buddhist practitioner called Chantal Rinpoche who had spent 30 years in silent retreat, in contemplative retreat. And he pronounced Merton uh, an independently enlightened being. That Merton's path of prayer had led him to his state that this great Buddhist monk equated with enlightenment. And he gave Merton a version of the Bodhisattva vow, which is a vow to become enlightened for the sake of helping all other beings in this life or the next. And this is very touching because shortly after Merton died in a freak accident in Bangkok, in Thailand, some think a freak accident, some even think murder, but he died. And for our, I don't want to scare anybody with it. It's not like this is what meditation leads us to. But what it does lead us to is an appreciation that all genuine 
sincere efforts and wishes to awaken, to open to life and to that thing we call presence are going in the same direction. And I could say so much more, but I think maybe you would like to sit and um, later I'll say one thing more. So let's take our seats. And as we become comfortable, as we straighten our backs, we remember that in Merton's words, when he came to this opening, this inkling, Merton experienced it as an emptiness that sometimes when you feel very small, very empty, like nothing at all, like there's something wrong with you even, that that's the very moment, letting your eyes close, that being exactly as you are is the very moment that you're opening to a greater life. to a kind of grace that as we sit here, we're not trying to strive and attain something. We're letting things be. We're offering ourselves to stillness just like this. And see that we can come home to the sensation of sitting here together. And notice again that there's an attention that can see without judgment. And see that when you go up into the thought, you can gently come back again to the body and to presence.
and see that this attention, this presence isn't separate from you. But it doesn't stop with your thinking. It sees. It senses. Notice that this attention softens you. Softens the tension, the thinking, whatever edge might hurt. And see that no matter what you're thinking about, no matter what is happening, you can come home again to sensation and to a presence that receives with kindness, with acceptance.
and notice how it feels to soften, to let yourself be less defended. Coming home and opening to stillness. The word for mindfulness means to remember. To remember that we're part of life. We're alive.
Notice how it feels to just give yourself to this attention, this stillness.
noticing how it feels to belong to life. To be completely acceptable just like this. So this is a, a work, a practice of transforming suffering. And I wanted to read a poem by Antonio Machado called Last Night As I Was Sleeping. Last night, as I was sleeping, I dreamt wonderful error that a spring was breaking out in my heart. I said, along which secret aqueduct, oh water, are you coming to me? Water of a new life that I have never drunk. Last night, as I was sleeping, I dreamt wonderful error that I had a beehive here inside my heart and the golden bees were making white combs and sweet honey from my old failures. Last night, as I was sleeping, I dreamt wonderful error that a fiery sun was giving light inside my heart. It was fiery because I felt warmth as from a hearth. And I became, it became a light and it brought tears to my eyes. Last night as I slept, I dreamt marvelous error that it was God I had here inside my heart. And it's so good to remember that the root of the word heal 
in English. It doesn't mean unscarred, uninjured. It means to make whole, to make a whole. Which I experience in this practice is giving ourselves to a greater wholeness. Daring moment by moment to step out of our separation, our defendedness, our fear. So thank you for listening to me. And if you have any questions or comments, I welcome them. Um, Tracy, in that poem, I kept not hearing what the word was after wonderful. Wonderful, and it was repeated enough that I wanted to... Error, error, mistake. Mistake, ah. Yeah, error. It's in translation, so I, I'm retranslating it to mistake so you can hear what the word was. Because <laughs> I don't say error very clearly. No, that's okay. that's okay. Yeah. It's like, and it's such a beautiful poem. I hate to defile it with interpretation, but, it, you know, we do make honey from our old mistakes, from things that have seen to be extraordinary failures, have been things that have given us extraordinary wisdom or compassion, or love, or a practice, and a sangha, and a, a new way of living, and moments. That very thing. Does remembering um, also help, it seems to help sometimes, the remembering piece, what you're talking about, to imagine remembering, there's also remembering that helps with impermanence because it, oh, I'm here today and that I got through or this happened, um, there was learning, um, that kind of remembering too. Yeah, it's true. And um, the best way, there's remembering the present, which is this practice. And sometimes I think of it as literally pulling my different parts together, my members, my head, my heart, my body, recollecting myself. So I'm, I'm, there, I'm all here, not just in the loneliness of my thoughts. So let's sit to close our practice. We just take another moment sitting together in stillness. And just feeling our own wish to be here to meaning to be present, to be alive. And 
we offer ourselves a wish, may I be safe, may I be free from suffering, even in pain, free from loneliness, and free. And putting two hands together in our heart space, we offer this wish to all beings everywhere, always including ourselves. May all beings be safe and protected from harm and danger. May all beings be well, as well as they can be. May all beings be at ease and know that they belong, that they're wanted and lovable and acceptable. And may all beings everywhere without exception be free. Thank you. Thank you.